Support for this episode comes from SAS. How is AI affecting how you learn, work, and socialize? And what do you need to know to make responsible use of it as a business leader, worker, and human in the world? Find out when you listen to Pondering AI, a podcast featuring candid conversations with experts from across the AI ecosystem. Pondering AI explores the impact and implications of AI for better and for worse with a diverse group of innovators, advocates, and data scientists. Check out Pondering AI wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I only have my sunglasses. I forgot my glasses. Oh, okay. That's okay. So, Except I have to drive the bolt with my sunglasses. That is a little bit weird at night, but okay. Well, there you have it. It's on! Hi, everyone. From New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Matt Gates's Venmo account, but with much more age-appropriate activity. Just kidding. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naima Reza. What is in your Venmo account activity? I don't know. Different people. My my tenants in San Francisco pay me through Venmo. Oh, Casey Newton? Yeah, Casey, Casey Newton, Newton incoming. Venmo's me, yeah. <laughs> anyway, how are you? I'm good. I'm well. I'm getting ready for going to Europe soon. Oh, yeah, we are. Yes, that's right. Also, Pivot. So it's going to be Scott live. Galloway. We're going to be in Germany. We're going to and we're gonna have to watch Scott in all these countries. I think you're going to interview the CEO of BMW. Yeah, that would be great. I'm going to talk to Ben Smith and Justin Smith. Mm-hmm. Semaphore, no the relation. Smith Brothers. See how that's Smith going. Smith Brothers. Yeah. I yeah. know. What a time to launch a media business. Huh? I know, right? They're getting a lot of attention. That's they sure. are. And they do good stuff. I like yeah, their stuff. they do. But speaking of panels and talking, we have a panel today. Yes, it's about the, uh, the great dysfunction that is the Republican Party. And this has obviously been in the news for... For a while, we've all been glued to C-SPAN chewing popcorn last week, watching the very long saga of Speaker McCarthy play out. But as we tape this, a few other major waves are playing out. So big news is that President Biden is starting off the second half of his term with news that his lawyers discovered classified documents in an old office. Yeah. Um, this leads to a bit of, uh, I'm sure, hot calling, yeah. kettle black yeah. analogies from the Trump folks, although Biden yeah. and his team are cooperating with the Justice Department. Yeah. They're not blocking it and lying about it. They're like, oh, my God, we found these and here they are and come in and get them. And oh, it's so different rather than your witch hunt or this or that, or making it into a political fundraising thing. That's true. The House Republicans are settling down from the near violent saga of last week. Wasn't violent. Near violent. Near violent. The guy with the bad toupee <laughs> just leaned into Matt Gates. That's it. That's really pretty much. I, I know that's the kind of WWF I like to watch. <laughs> what I appreciated was Katie Porter, who's now going for Diane Feinstein's seat, reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. Well, they were just sitting around voting the same the whole time for all those fifteen votes. So the extreme right wing has obviously been flexing more power, even maybe going more right than than Trump. And mm-hmm. we're all wondering what all this means for the twenty twenty four presidential contest. Test as two Floridians who used to be friends, sort of, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, uh, seem to be duking it out on the presumptive Republican nominee. They're as much friends yep. as you and I are, Kara. I, I think I think we're better friends than that, but nonetheless, <laughs> we are. 
a little known fact, you were a Republican for a little bit, closeted Republican. Yes. Yes, I was. Yes. And now, I is was. this the least functional you've seen the Republican Party? I don't, uh, you know, I don't think they are functional. I just think you just see it now. It's just they're, they're not, in the age of internet, everyone has to be an id. And so now they, and they want their personal attention and their personal brand. And so nobody falls into line anymore. They want to be their own Instagram star in a version of Twitter or whatever. That's fair. What was the famous Bill Clinton quote that was like, Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line? Well, now they just, nobody falls in line now. Yeah. So I'm not an expert in this. I just watch it from afar. But today I've got the experts. Yes. Our guests today are Manu Raju, the chief uh, congressional correspondent uh, for CNN. I think he's great. Everyone I talk to on Capitol Hill said he's one of the hardest working people up there. And I think he gets a lot of scoops. I feel like he's always on the hill. He lives on the hill. It's like me in my closet, him on his hill. And Charlie Sykes is the founder and editor-at-large of The Bulwark, host of The Bulwark podcast. I've been on the podcast. It was really enjoyable talking to him. And he's an N- NBC and MSN. Beast. He contributed. He's a former Republican, but he's still a conservative. A reformed Republican, but yeah, he's a lifelong conservative. And of course, the Republican Party, the Overton window has shifted so drastically. Uh, he seems liberal, but he's not. That's not the case. And so I think he's a really good, he's always been very smart and actually quite fair in uh, analyzing the state of the GOP. So what does this all mean? What are the implications? You know, th- that other stuff was a circus and kind of ridiculous, and it sort of exposed power centers and nothing more than that. And so I want to find out what's next and how in the world did Marjorie Taylor Greene get to be the reasonable person in this group of people. I really want to understand that. For that, you might have to interview her, something I know you don't want to do, but yes. I have to be real drunk. So <laughs> well, you don't drink. So it's not going to happen. Don't. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Name, what's your big question for this episode? Yeah, I think electing a speaker should be the easiest thing that the party does. So I'm curious if the showdown we saw play out is going to happen for every vote going forward. And then I've lived a chunk of my life in parliamentary systems. So I think mm-hmm. now of these parties no longer as parties, but as kind of weak coalitions. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to understand which one they think is stronger, the Republicans or the Democrats. And is there an opportunity for Democrats right now? Yeah, I think there is. We'll see. Let's see what they have to say. All right, let's take a quick break and come back with Manu and Charlie. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what could otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian software is built to keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. 
Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. I completely apologize. I didn't bring my glasses. I'm not doing this like to try to be someone, but it's my only uh, glasses at work. So oh, it's, I hope you don't mind. It's very dark, Brandon. <laughs> I had it before him. Let's not be <laughs> clear on that situation. Um, I may take them off and just read. Charlie, Manu, thank you so much for joining me. You're the two exact people I wanted to talk to about this. Manu, you're literally inside the halls of Congress. I believe you live there almost every day talking to lawmakers. So tell us about the deals McCarthy had to strike in order to become speaker and things that maybe people don't know about and how they'll affect his ability to get things done. Yeah, look, the question is how long can he last? Because really the only two things that they have to do in this new Congress is to fund the government and to avoid a collapse of the economy by raising the national debt limit. And he had to make two deals with the far right that are going to have huge, huge ramifications, one of which uh, which we are really just learning about because they have not publicly released to this point uh, all the details of those side agreements. But we're only learning mm-hmm. about this from our reporting and what he's telling folks inside the room and what some of the members are telling us is that they, on the funding of the government, they're saying that they will not accept any bills that come out of the Democratic-controlled Senate that do not adhere to their own Republican budget on the House side. And that includes a cut to domestic spending programs. That is a Mm -hmm. no-go for Senate Democrats. So that's going to be really hard to fund the government. And then to Mm -hmm. avoid a debt default, they're saying that this must be tied to a significant amount of cuts, corresponding spending cuts. That is a no-go for the White House and Senate Democrats. So if McCarthy were to back away from those agreements, then he has bound to the other issue that he cut, other deal he cut, to allow for a single member to call for a vote to oust a sitting speaker. So if he backs away from this, his speakership will be immediately put to the test. And he'll be voting continually, Exactly. Exactly. So we so there's a situation, an economic collapse and a government shutdown or potentially seeing a speakership uh, essentially ended almost within a few months here. Charlie, you're, you're shaking your head as, as Manu says this, almost jumping out of your seat. What were you wanted to say? Well, I mean, what, what could go wrong here? Um, they basically they, they basically checkmated themselves. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I got a little bit of flack from some of the right-wing media for describing what Kevin McCarthy did as self-gelding. But basically, he <laughs> made himself the, the weakest that's possible. Not used, that's not a term that's used enough in life. Well, that's go right. Ahead, I, I hope to reintroduce it to the, the lexicon. And or at least Kevin McCarthy will, because, I mean, he has made himself the weakest speaker. I think that's pretty obvious. But he's also set mm-hmm. up these absolute train wrecks. So, um, you know, I am old enough to remember when Ted Cruz used to try to uh, shut down the government um, and, mm-hmm. and, and he had no no end game. He had no strategy mm-hmm. to actually succeed. So to mm-hmm. a certain sense, this is a back to the future. That sort of, you know, tear it down, you know, tear it all down, burn it all down, uh, you, know, you know, Tea Party uh, vibe. What's interesting about this to me, though, is that, look, the Republicans uh, will continue pushing culture war issues. They'll have a lot of messaging issues. There'll be a lot of performative mm-hmm. votes, et cetera. But what, what Manu is describing is also this uh, flex back to the fiscal conservatism they had completely abandoned during the Trump years. I mean, Trump added, what, trillions of dollars to the national debt and to the deficits, and basically Republicans didn't give a shit about it. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, now we've had a new, we have a Democratic president and they're born-again fiscal hawks. But how does it play out? 
is the Republican Party really going to go after Social Security and Medicare? Because can I just point out that is not a political winner, even among Republican voters? Are they really Mm -hmm. going to become the party of defunding the military, which is also an extraordinary shift? These things, you know, play well with the base, with the hardcore, with the fever swamps. But I think that they are, uh, they're going to be very politically problematic. And, And as you pointed out, Kevin McCarthy is completely held hostage to this. You know, there's always this assumption that, you know, the calmer, wiser headeds are going to prevail, right? Yeah. We will never default on the debt. We will never really, you know, do something catastrophic. But if you're watching what happened over the last week, if the calmer, wiser heads prevail, they will have Kevin McCarthy's head on a plate. If he tries to negotiate or do the grown-up thing, they will kick they, – they potentially will end his speakership. Charlie, you're a Republican for a very long time. You've been analyzing your party your entire professional life. How is this moment different? Ex-party. Yeah. <laughs> Ex-party, right. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, that, that's always the interesting question. You know, what's new and what's old here? Um, number one, I mean, this this is not new uh, that you have the perpetual, mm-hmm. perpetual outrage machines uh, working. It's not new right. that you're going to have very weak speakers. I mean, uh, there's a reason why Paul Ryan desperately did not want to become speaker. So what what you have is the, I think, just the devolution of this party, almost a post-Trump kind of extremism here. You know, Trump, Trump mm-hmm. gave a lot of uh, oxygen and a lot of attention to the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, uh, to the, the people who are the, you know, we don't need to be a governing party. But now I think you're seeing the degree to which the entire Republican Party is held hostage by the most extreme elements. But I want to make just one point here. I think it's a real mistake to characterize that speaker fight as a fight between the extremists and the moderates or the bomb throwers and the establishment. Because really, you know, as my colleague Mona Charon wrote, it was really between one brand of extremists and another brand of extremists. Remember, Kevin McCarthy mm-hmm. is relying on the votes of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. Uh, he needs the votes of George Santos. You look at some of the people who are becoming the chairman of the committee. These are election deniers. These are people who would have been on the far fringes of the party at any previous time. So what you're seeing is so that's this different. continue. Well, it's a continuation of the pattern that we've seen for some years. And now, look, I mean, there are some things that they asked for that were legitimate. You know, having 72 hours to look at Term the bills. I, I, I get that. Yeah. They, these, are, these are fine. Yeah. But what Manu described before is a formula not just for political dysfunction, but for a kind of government paralysis that is going to have huge consequences. So you think last week was bad. That is just a preview of what the next two years are going to look like. And while that was a, you know, eat your popcorn and enjoy the television show in D.C., the consequences are coming to a town near you. I mean, it's 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 going to be big. So let's go through a quick lightning round of Republicans in the House now. And I want to understand who the players are going to be. Uh, I'm going to throw out uh, some names. Manu, I want you to give a quick diagnosis of their superpower and Achilles heel for each. And Charlie, you tell us if the person's a true believer or a phony, okay? Um, and if you want to add an Achilles heel, go right ahead. So Matt Gates, arguably the loudest holdout, someone who almost uh, got an assaulted on the floor, sort of. Um, Go ahead. I mean, his strength is that he is close to Donald Trump. Uh, His Achilles heel is that he does not have uh, many friends within the Republican conference. Charlie? Yeah, well, his strength is like Donald Trump, complete shamelessness, um, you know, and, and, you know. Is he a true believer or phony? You know, 
I think I think he's a, he's a complete phony. He's a complete fraud. And I think people saw that. So that's his Achilles heel that everybody hates him now. Everyone hates him now. But but again, it doesn't matter to him because what he really wants to be is a host on Newsmax, not an actual lawmaker. Yes. Uh, Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene, who was with McCarthy from the jump and somehow emerged as most reasonable of the bunch. I cannot believe the space laser, Jewish space laser lady was in on it. Um, so, Manu, go ahead. I mean, the strength that she has been able to form, make herself much more influential within the House Republican Conference and the leadership by allying herself with uh, Kevin McCarthy. That was certainly not expected last year when she was on the outs. They never wanted her to even win the job in her initial run. They were hoping she would lose her primary. She won. Now she is very tight with the Republican leadership. Uh, her Achilles heel is that uh, you know she is a polarizing presence, particularly among Democrats, and she's a recognizable name. And Democrats can easily point her alliance out with McCarthy and attacking them, you know, going forward. Charlie. Well, first of all, we should not normalize Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is not a reasonable person. Um, her superpower is the same as her Achilles heel, that she is a conspiracy theorist, um, batshit crazy bigot and anti-Semite. Huh. And and for some okay. reason, that's made her a rock star in the Republican <laughs> Party, but it's also her Achilles heel because to the extent right. that she becomes the face of the new Republican majority, they are screwed. I mean, I this is, yeah. this is this is a dangerous thing. So believer or phony, what do you think? I think she's a believer. I watched one of her speeches and yeah. I thought, that is a smart political person, crazy yeah. as she may be. No, no, no. She's, she, she she's, she's a believer. It's bullshit. It's, uh, but, but she believes it in it. In, and, and that, I think, is the difference between her and Matt Gates, who doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mm -hmm. believe anything. But again, it's always dangerous right. to go inside these people's heads. What do they believe? What's there? Right. That's true. Jim Jordan, the Ohio congressman who helped found the Freedom Caucus, trying to get votes for McCarthy, another one who sort of sidled up to power. You know, his power is that he is uh, beloved by the right, as we saw him and these votes uh, that nominated him to become speaker. That was not just for show. Part of it was they actually wanted him to become speaker. And, he, and Kevin McCarthy recognizes his power, too, which is why he elevated him. He's now the House Judiciary Committee chairman. He's close with Kevin McCarthy. He's very, very influential. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, his, his challenge going forward will be you know, trying to sell himself to the more mainstream part of society, the, the media, get more credibility within both uh, aspects because he's going to be in charge of some key investigations this year. And would they be credible? That's going to be his challenge. Charlie? Well, first of all, I need to think, I, I think he needs to get a fucking jacket if he's going to be the chairman <laughs> of the, I mean, if could you get the guy a coat? I actually don't think he's that he's going to be, coat. yeah, he, no his, his task may be that he needs to sell himself to the mainstream. I don't think he's that interested in it. I don't think he's capable of it. His Achilles heel He's got the documentary coming out. He has never yeah, Clooney, really been hit with that. And so that's baggage, particularly when the right is really all concerned about, you know, the pedo Democrats and things like that. Right. So, yeah. uh, I would that, say that, George that, Clooney is his Achilles heel. Well, yes. All right. Uh, Elise Stefanik, chair of the House Republican Conference. Look, her her uh, strength is she's able to ally herself with Donald Trump. This seems to be a common theme, but it's also very important with the House Republican Conference. Uh, she That's why she was able to uh, you know, knock out uh, Liz Cheney mm -hmm. from that position. Uh, and now she's a member of leadership. Uh, her Achilles heel is that she was more moderate. She used to be a moderate, uh, more establishment, down the middle Republican. Now she's a MAGA Republican. So that was a pretty quick transformation, but it helped her politically. Well, her incredible cynicism um, and the way that she did, uh, com you know, was a complete shapeshifter and all that showed that she was a woman without, without any principle whatsoever, um, you know, abandoned almost everything and everyone 
that she had been identified with before this to go all in on 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 Trump. So again, apparently her strength is her ability to shape shift in this Republican Party. The downside is that even I think Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago sees her as a shapeshifter. So um, wi- so a phony, phony. Yeah, a phony. And therefore does not trust her. All right. I have to do this. New York Congress, <laughs> George Santos, if that's his real name, uh, the Hill's newest and most um, accomplished um, con artist. I feel like him in that Eddie Murphy movie, Man of the House. Remember that when he came up, The Grifter? Such a good movie. Um, so uh, what do you – anything? I mean, look, I don't know how long he survives in this position. I mean, this – it's one day after another there's something new or some investigation. He is going to face some serious investigations. He could very well be indicted. He he could lose his committee assignments. He could be forced out of uh, the job. He comes from a swing district, too. So it's hard to see him staying for longer than two years. But, uh, you know, he McCarthy, I asked him about that yesterday. Where, what do you he would only say, I'm only dealing with this internally. We're not talking about any of the issues that have come up. So McCarthy realizes that, you know, he needed his vote to become speaker and he got it. George Santos is is going to be like that dead fish left out in, in the sun because they, they, they can't get rid of him. <laughs> Um, because they need his vote, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But I also think when they finally make the the Netflix miniseries about him, he will be the personification of the Trump era of politics. I really oh, think that the, the lies, the shamelessness, the complete lack of any accountability, um, but I think Wasn't there, there a, there's a Leonardo that, DiCaprio movie about this. A guy became a pilot and a doctor and whatever. And now oh, I'm I this. just think that I see. Oh, I love all these movies about about Theranos and about the Fire Festival and about catch all me of, if you can, all so. of the grifts and everything. Well, this is the age of grift and phonies, and and he's like perfect. He's like you know um, inventing what is it? In, was it inventing Anna? Um, I mean, there's the, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. hello. Hi, these are all fantastic stories, and you know, this is our political version of that. Yeah, I don't think he survives. I don't know. All right, Trump uh, tried to keep his most ardent followers like Boebert and Gates in line, and he failed completely. He put himself out there, risk looking weak. Uh, where is he? Uh, Manu, you go first. Well, look. Because he's, he's going to have an influence on this particular house. Yes, on this particular house. And that's probably where he's most influential. Uh, and, you know, of course, there's a, the part of the base that's, that loves him and is and, and loyal to him. Now, the problem is that he has lost so much juice um, since the elections, uh, you know, not just from January 6th. That's one aspect of it. But it's really since the midterms. You know, they Mitch McConnell and the Republican leadership and the Senate side, they blame him squarely. They say it is essentially completely his fault. The candidates he chose, him being a major presence in the campaign late, late. They blame him for Pennsylvania. They blame him for Arizona. They blame him for Nevada. They blame him Mm -hmm. for all their big Senate losses, which is why they're in the minority. And look, that is the biggest thing in when you're in politics, winning and staying in power. And they blame him for costing them both. And that hurts him with large swaths of his party. All right. He, he, he is not irrelevant because he still has the power to destroy, um, but but not necessarily to do things that are, you know, get his get his deplorables elected. But having said that, I thought that his shrunken clout was so dramatically on display this past year. And. I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm haunted by um, Olivia Nuzzi's portrayal of him as kind of Norman Desmond. Mm-hmm. Wandering around. Wandering yeah. around saying, I'm ready for my close-up. Because <laughs> close what he up. most fears is to be irrelevant <laughs> and to be ignored, and, and he was. But that doesn't mean 
that 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 he is not still a force that he cannot keep people in line you know if he puts out statements accusing people of being a rhino or demanding mm-hmm. that people be thrown off committees or insisting that Kevin McCarthy do do this or that and the reality is that um, you know, un- un- until proven otherwise, he remains the front-running candidate for the Republican c- nomination for- Remains. For, for, he remains. He remains, yeah. So he still has power. I mean, they yeah. definitely trotted him out a lot, right? He's uh, pathetic and diminished, but still dangerous. We'll be back in a minute. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you've made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. Support for this show comes from Ramp. Are you overwhelmed with managing your business expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? Is your finance software just not cutting it? Or maybe you're just looking to cut all that wasteful spending. Ramp could be a total game changer for you and your business. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Plus, Ramp is easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Not only that, but Ramp can save you money. They estimated that businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Kara. Ramp.com slash Kara. R-A-M-P dot com slash Kara. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. What are the Republican priorities now, you know, with Charlie laying out this idea of of essentially, and I hate to use the term bomb throwers, bomb throwers in charge not willing to govern? Yeah, I mean, look, before I get into the priorities, the one thing I want to point out here is that McCarthy was very shrewd in trying to co-opt some of those folks on the far right because they were very close to Donald Trump. Uh, One aspect of his deal was to include some of these members on a very powerful committee in the House called the House Rules Committee. That dictates the terms of legislation on the floor. Amendments, legislation, it determines everything. Typically, that is controlled by the leadership. But McCarthy agreed to put some members of that hard right Freedom Caucus on that committee. So that is going to drive and shape the kind of bills that could come to the House floor. But they will plan to put together bills that have 
no chance of becoming law, but they will pass because the House is a majoritarian institution. You could pass things along straight party lines. It will be stalled in the Democratic-led Senate where you need 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. So we're not going to see much actual legislating in the next two years. What we will see is a lot of investigating. That they can do. They have unilateral subpoena power. They don't need Democratic support to issue subpoenas. They plan to put together a select committee to investigate the Justice Department, investigations that they believe uh, were unfair. They're planning to look into those matters. They're uh, looking, of course, into Hunter Biden's business dealings and the Biden family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, large. these raft investigations. Exactly. A border security, COVID-19 origins. There are lots of issues that they can plan to push. And look, they may get, they may find a lot of revelatory information. So you don't want to suggest that it's all, I mean, of course, a lot of it's political, but you don't know what they're going to find. So we'll see what they ultimately okay, find Okay, so out. which one is going to keep Joe Biden up at night? I mean, I think it's going to be the Hunter Biden investigation. Uh, they, you know, yeah. It's unclear what they'll exactly find. There are suspicious overseas business dealings that they say that they don't have much information about, uh, that they plan to uh, issue subpoenas for. And so at some point, they'll ask Hunter Biden to come testify himself. Uh, so that will keep Joe Biden. What about the documents that just showed up, those uh, yeah, documents? Yeah, you know, it's unclear at this exact moment how they plan to deal with that. But uh, I suspect that they will, <laughs> they're not going to drop it. They're going to look around around the communications that happened at the White House and with the Mm -hmm. Justice Department and the aftermath of it. So even if uh, these documents don't turn out to be uh, particularly damaging, uh, there are going to be a whole sorts of other issues for them to explore. And James Comer, the House Oversight Committee chairman, told me that he plans to push ahead on this as well as some of the other committees as well. So that's certainly going to be part of the... the Right, and it's going to be dragged into Donald Trump's investigation, which is much more serious, presumably. So, but nonetheless, it becomes an equalizing force. Charlie, what do you think their priorities are going to be? So I think you need to break it into three buckets. Um, The investigative, the performative, Mm -hmm. and then the genuinely dangerous. So the investigative, a lot of it's going to be complete bullshit, but some of it is legitimate. I think it's legitimate to have a, a committee that that looks at what happened in Afghanistan, the origins of COVID. You know that that if if there was uh, if there was a remote possibility that would be a good faith investigation, that would be a, a, all right. Um, a lot of it is going to be simply um, you know uh, you know show trials. The performative um, aspect of this also is not going to keep Joe Biden or anybody up at night. These are the you know kinds of messaging bills that uh, Mano was 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 describing. They will go absolutely nowhere. Right. But the genuinely dangerous comes when it comes to keeping the lights on, paying the bills, and avoiding debt uh, default. Kevin McCarthy. By the way, just on Kevin McCarthy, people could write hundreds of years from now essays on human ambition and then the dangers mm-hmm. of human ambition and the lack of principle using the case of Kevin McCarthy. But given Kevin McCarthy's situation, there's just, you know, I, I am trying to think of the scenario in which they do not blow things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the other challenge from McCarthy here is that the he doesn't, it's not just the hard right. There are all these members from Biden districts that are central to him getting the majority. They're the Mm -hmm. ones who are more moderate members. They're the ones who are not going to go along, even on some of these messaging bills that are designed to throw red meat to the base. It may be difficult to pass those bills because those same moderate members are going to say, no way. So more than four defections on any bill is enough to scuttle his his efforts going forward, which just shows you just the challenge he will have. So when you think about that, are there four Republicans that are like that? Is there a Kristen Sinema mansion group 
forming because they would have enormous power. Yeah, they, they're it. There are. Who are they? Who are they? I mean, there's people like Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania. Uh, he mm-hmm. is, they, they they call themselves. He's part of what they call the Problem Solvers Caucus. It's a bipartisan group mm-hmm. uh, in the House uh, that he is uh, the the co chair of. He's a moderate member from a swing district. There are people like Don Bacon of Nebraska, also from a swing district. There's an incoming freshman mm-hmm. named Mike Lawler uh, from New York, uh, someone who uh, beat uh, a Democratic leader, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, in the past. Uh, election mm-hmm. cycle, someone to look out for. Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, uh, also a member. Uh, so there are a handful of members uh, and that could uh, presu- presumably join with Democrats, but they have to go around the leadership. There, there's a way mm-hmm. you can do that. That's called a motion mm-hmm. to discharge in the House, which mm-hmm. means that if 218 members sign onto a petition, they can essentially force a vote on a specific piece of legislation. Now, what can mm-hmm. they agree on? Perhaps if we're facing an economic default, they like they can agree to put something on right. the floor to raise the debt ceiling. But you right. know, we'll see if we ever get to that. And then they'll. But they have the other problem in the Senate. You need to get but sixty they could, votes they could to get have an enormous amount of power, and that's the return of the power. Yes. Just because the the right is so powerful, the middle could be quite powerful. Exactly, and you know they have never really banded together to use their power as effectively as the far right has, as we've seen in the speaker's race. Uh, they've talked about being more uh, forceful in the new Congress. I mean, the House is a def- is a institution of of coalitions. Uh, they'll have to figure out a better way to to organize to be effective. And, you know, they're talking about that. So we'll see what happens. What do you think about that, Charlie? I guess the big question is whether the the, the moderates, the normies, are willing to go to the mat the way that they, the, 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 the crazy, because there are not that many normies. And the problem with, with the normies um, is the history of the last five, six years is that when push comes to shove, they they walk away. They go someplace else. Um, you know, there have been so many instances of this. So maybe there will be issues. But um, this question of the discharge petitions is very interesting to me because, you know, anyone knows, I think, in the current environment that if you vote for a discharge petition to bring a reasonable piece of legislation to the floor, you vote against the leadership on this, you vote with the right. Democrats, you basically have placed a political gun at your head. I mean, this this will this will guarantee that you will be primaried. The state the, the the cost of that will be very very high. Maybe they will do it, but keep in mind what happened to all of the Republicans that voted to impeach Donald Trump. Now, I'm not saying this yeah. is the same thing, but I'm saying that th- this will carry the same kind of stigma within Republican circles. So the pressure will be very, very intense on them. Yeah. So 118 of those representatives are election deniers, by the way. And it's the reality of winning a GOP primary. Let me ask you, what is the str- – each of you, Manu, start – what is the stronger coalition nationally right now, uh, Democrats or Republicans? Oh, that's a tough qu- – I mean, the, the Republicans are divided post-election, post-Trump. The way that the midterms went uh, – suggested that they need to find uh, another way forward, and they have not figured out what that way forward is. And so if you're talking about unity within the the party, um, the Democrats are far more united because of Trump on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just look at the House versus the Senate, the House Republican leadership versus the Senate Republican leadership, Mitch McConnell versus Kevin McCarthy. There are deep divisions about what is their way forward post the midterms that went not the way they expected. They're not in the majority in the Senate. They're barely in the majority in the House. Uh, Donald Trump 
uh, is a polarizing figure within their own party. Mitch McConnell wants nothing to do with Donald Trump in the future. Kevin McCarthy's aligned himself with Donald Trump. Uh, so that is a real problem for them as we head into 2024. You know, Democrats don't have everything uh, harmonious with them. I mean, they are still right. figuring out. But they're always arguing. Exactly. Right? They're always right. arguing. Progressives versus the more moderates. Progressives have the energy in the party. Moderates want to be able to help their party do better in rural parts of the country. They have really struggled. And so there, and there's also division about whether Biden is the guy that they want to run against. Yeah, so. but, that, but they are always exactly. you know, so, always you know, agonizing. So yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. Charlie, what do you think? Um, well, I, I, I agree with that analysis. But, you know, you asked earlier what what is new now for the Republican Party. And I think that it is the MAGA crack up that you're seeing that is very, very real. When I talk about the MAGA crack up, I mean, I don't know about you, but I did not have Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Lauren Boebert on my no. bingo card. I mean, and I they are did. all going after sense. one another. So, I mean, there was there yeah. was that sense of unity for a while um, as part of the cult. And you can really see, you know, the you know the the, the knives that are out there. So um, these divisions in the Republican Party are very real, and they're going mm-hmm. to uh, and they're going to play out over the next two years. I have to say that one of the most extraordinary things about last week, though, was watching the Democrats, who are notoriously in disarray, just sitting there completely united. Yeah. That they voted unanimously yeah. for Hakeem Jeffries. I mean, this has not happened mm-hmm. in more than a decade for the Democratic Party. And they have real right. differences yeah. between the progressives and, and the more centrist. Um, but at least for the moment, they can sit back and watch the Republicans rip each other apart and then take these positions that I think are going to be politically toxic. It, there's something about being in the opposition. It really exactly. sharpens your political uh, strategy, your tactics. That's a good point. It is. It's a lot easier. And they're yeah. battling with each other so much for the past two years about what these bills need to pass, what they need to look like. Now they can they have a common enemy and that's that will help right. their political strategy. And it will go away. Even though, you know, Jeffries is more centrist and progressives have problems with them, they'll still go a lot. It's like better than that. Kind you of thing. Saw that. Uh, yeah, well, one hopes. Um, people always ask Never Trumpers some version of when will the Republican Party heal itself? So, Charlie, tell me, ask you the opposite. What happens if the gang of conspiracy theorists, white supremacists, and election deniers continues to gain power? And then, Manu, what does that do to legislation? Go ahead, Charlie. Well, I, I think they, they will, at least in the short term, continue to gain power. And I think that we have to live with this. I, I think that the I think that we have to recognize that the fever is not going to break anytime soon and that we are going to be living, I'm sorry to be depressing at the end here, living with the consequences of this for 30, 40, 50 years. I think we're going to look back on this and say, okay, do you remember where this all came from? I mean, look back Uh, to things that happened. 30, 40, 50. Okay, well, think about about the impact of 1968. Is that the past or, or is that really still shaping a lot of our politics? What happened, you know, from 1965 to 1973? And it's going to be like that going forward because you have a whole generation of people who've been brought into politics who are going to be here for a very long time. You have a completely new media ecosystem. You have a new fight series of, you have a new financial incentive system for politics. All of that is going to stay in place, whoever wins these nominations. So there may be improvement, but I think it would be naive mm-hmm. to think that we've gone through a bubble. And I admit that. In, in you know 2016, I thought you know we'll just get through this and get, things will get back to reasonably normal. Maybe after 2020, we thought okay, get rid of Trump, things will go back to normal. That is not going to happen. 
And yeah, I mean, you've already seen that it's the makeup of the Republicans change in Congress Mm -hmm. uh, during the Trump era. You know, you you look at we talked about the House, but the Senate, you've seen the the change from the more Bush Republicans, the more middle of the road establishment, business friendly Republicans, conservatives, even conservative Republicans, uh, those type of Republicans gone those deal making republicans gone in the in trumpy republicans people are more aligned uh, with the former president mm-hmm. becoming part of the body and that reflects the base in tennessee yeah. and that yeah look what happened in tennessee lamar alexander bob corker two very uh, deal making type senators who have relationships on both sides of the aisle they were re- conservative republicans they were replaced by marsha blackburn very close uh, to donald trump bill haggerty a very conservative a uh, member of the Senate. You look at uh, what happened in Ohio. J.D. Vance is the new senator from Ohio. He replaced Rob Portman, who is a central, mm-hmm. who's a Bush Republican, business guy, very, uh, he cut the infrastructure deal. Vance strongly opposed the infrastructure deal while he was running in the primary in Ohio. Uh, so you're seeing you know, that already taking place. And that impacts the legislation. That impacts how votes come to the flu- – what votes can uh, – will get uh, the majority in the Senate or a supermajority to break a filibuster. So you're already going to see that impact and it's going to continue as the body continues to change. All right. So we're still here. The fever doesn't break. So let's end with predictions. I'm going to get you each to do them very quickly. Um, how long will McCarthy last? Manu? <laughs> that is the question in the Capitol. You know, he said yeah. he, he said he's going to last. There's a thousand percent chance he lasts the next two years. You know, I, yeah. I think he looks fit. What happened there? <laughs> Look, I think I say it's something, but you I know, think there's a me. chance he could last the next two years. I think there's a I would give it a 50 years, 50 okay. chance that he lasts the next two years. Uh, but I, you know, I think there's a chance he could be done by the middle of the summer if he cuts a deal on the debt ceiling. But he doesn't want to lose his job. So I think he's willing yeah. to go to the mat and let it go out for the next two years. All right, Charlie. Okay, so I, I have a head of lettuce up on the counter in my kitchen, and <laughs> I am lettuce, betting yeah. that the head of lettuce lasts longer than Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> wow. Okay. Liz Truss. A little Liz Truss there. The, Br- the, Brits, the Brits are so good at getting rid of people. We're not so good at it. All right, then who are the Republicans with staying power? Who will we watch in 2024? Prediction, Manu? For the Republican nomination for president? Since lettuce is not staying around. <laughs> I mean, look. Is it romaine or iceberg? Because iceberg is It's iceberg. iceberg. I, mean, I love ta- iceberg. It's iceberg. Yeah. yeah. If we're talking okay. about the Republican nomination for president, I mean, like, you know, we we obviously talk about Ron DeSantis a lot. And mm-hmm. he certainly has a lot of support within the Republican Party. You're seeing that in the polling and among voters and the like. He has not yet been put to the test. We, you know, we talked. No, has not. You know, we saw everyone was talking about Jeb Bush in the run up to 2016. And we saw what happened yep. there. So, you know, we, we really just don't know. I, I do think you're going to see a lot of people try to position themselves as the non-Trump Republicans who support Trump policies. You'll see Mike Pence being part of that uh, mix. Uh, you may see some others. Uh, throw their hat in the ring, like, a, I don't know, possibly like a Larry Hogan, who's uh, been obviously mm-hmm. much more critical of Trump, but Chris Christie, Mike Pompeo. Uh, so, you know, which of those emerge? I mean, I just, it is just, this impossible to break two years out. I don't want to try. For, and of course, Cotton and Holly, I can't tell them apart anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that they're just one man. So, Charlie, what do you think? Well, uh, I mean, Ron DeSantis uh, is your head at Hogan. Well, you I, I don't, I don't see Hogan. that happening. I mean, he, he'll run, but, uh, you know, I mean, you know, that's why people are waiting on, on Ron DeSantis. Um, Glenn Youngkin would be uh, would be plausible yeah. as well. But, you know, 
the the problem with with Ron DeSantis sitting down there in Tallahassee, you know, everybody thinking that he's the heir apparent. Well, you know, people should ask, you know, President Fred Thompson, President Rick Perry, President uh, yep. Scott Walker, how that works. You know, a lot of these guys look yeah. really, really good on paper. I certainly remember President Rudy Giuliani. Um, you know, that are front right. runners oh, uh, before they get into the race. He is very much untested, and and I think that's that's that is the big question. So, um, the the best my, thing my that Trump, take is that yeah. just a civilian. He's yeah. charmless, but go ahead. Oh, no, no, charmless. no. He he doesn't just play an asshole on television. Apparently, he is one. The people who've served with him right. in Congress yeah, he's say like, he's, he's a complete him, jerk, like that guy. So he, he looks not, like everyone's ex husband. Yeah. Anyway, well, go ahead. He will not wear all well. my friends' ex husbands. Well, yeah, yeah. No, and that and that's why he may not wear well. So this is this again is the biggest asset so that who? Donald Trump has. So if well, you had to pick one, if you had to go, well. Um, in in many ways, Ron you can't DeSantis. Can't the head of lettuce. No, no, no. Ron DeSantis, if if he gets his act together, uh, might be the magic bullet to take out Donald Trump. But if there's a crowded field, Donald Trump knows history. Knows even though he's tired and he's bored and uh, you know he's 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 shrunken. If he's got a crowded field, you know we're talking about the change in the Republican Party. The real change in the Republican Party is just a reflection of the way the Republican base. This is a base problem. Mm -hmm. And there's still 30, yeah. 40% of that base that's going to vote for Donald Trump. If it's a five, six person race, Donald Trump could emerge from that. That's why I think there's going to be tremendous pressure on Ron DeSantis to get in and for the field to coalesce. Who the hell knows what that is? Around one. Yeah, but I don't know where that's going to happen. I'm going to go with Youngkin. Yeah, maybe. He's yeah. tall and handsome. It, it could and, happen. And conservative enough. All right. So, last one Who will be president in 2024? Someone we're not <laughs> talking about right now. I mean, Gosh, I mean, we are—I mean, just in such an unsettled period in American politics. I mean, yeah. isn't this just amazing? The former president, who knows what his legal problems go? Does he right. face criminal charges? Does he have to deal with that? Does he force to drop out of the race? Can he even emerge from a primary with or without his legal problems? Uh, the party is so badly divided. You have a president uh, of the United States who would be the oldest. Uh, he was the oldest president. Would he run for re-election? That's still undecided at this moment. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, he, Biden sounds like he's running uh, at this at this moment. There's no signs that he's not. Uh, but there are a lot of people who don't want him to. So maybe he changes his mind. So you're asking me the a very direct question that I'm trying to evade. I am. Okay, trying to evade it. Charlie will not evade me. I think it's going to be Joe Biden, but go ahead. I think it's going to be Joe Biden too. I don't. I don't think the Rep Democrats have a real Plan B. He's clearly running. I. I, I understand all the arguments about his age, but um, I think that this is a party that's going to be very united over the next two years. I don't think there's going to be a primary. Not doing challenge. too bad. He's no, not, he's doing well. So, yeah. He's doing, yeah. So I think it's all right. Be Biden. So Joe Biden. Biden. Joe Biden with the aviators. Anyway, thank you so much. You both have been doing such amazing work, and I really appreciate your thoughts. And we'll see what happens. And we'll and I hope that head of lettuce you get to eat it at some point. I'll tweet Thanks, at, I'll tweet out the picture. <laughs> I don't think that Joe Biden is going to be elected president in 2024. I think you're wrong. Joe Biden's going to be president. You know, everybody like Scott was like all on that man boy uh, Beto, and I was like no, and then he moved over to someone else, and I'm like no, it's going to be Joe Biden. It's going to be Joe Biden. I think it's going to be a Democrat who's not Joe Biden. Mm, Joe Biden. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just telling you it is. I thought that was a really good interview. I thought they're very smart and, uh, you know, even-handed. I think they, they really filled in a lot of stuff and moved it forward of what it means beyond the circus. I learned a lot from Charlie's body language in that oh, uh, okay. taping because I felt Charlie Sykes was, as Manu was just reporting out, 
the reality of the Republican Party dysfunction. Charlie Sykes was shaking his head, waving Ugh, his hands, just what like, the fuck? What it happened? looked like C-SPAN last week. I mean, he's been in this party yeah. for decades, and yeah. he's watching it unravel. Um, yeah. What have they know. done to my house? And, when, and then when he said that uh, that George Santos was a personification of Trump era of politics, yeah. it's crazy. If you saw this happen uh, to a party of yours you, that you cared about, you'd be like, what the hell is happening here? And it is kind yeah. of ridiculous and cartoonish with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and the whole—they're just so—they're so preening and so they performative. Are. And it's ridiculous. It's it's all visual. It feels like a, it feels like a constant game of TikTok with these people, like that you're watching a bad, bad, bad TikTok. So anyway. yes, uh, I don't even think it's a game. It's but I think that was the your There's question no in the point. beginning about Marjorie Taylor Green, and I yeah. agree we should not normalize somebody who uh, spouts out such misinformation. Right. But it's because I think like Charlie's answer was that she's actually authentic. She believes what she's saying. She does. That's and why she's actually the most dangerous. Power in that. There's she's the most dangerous that. because of that. She believes it. Yeah. And that's what's difficult. I, at some days I was watching, I think, is there any amount of mm-hmm. money we can give some of these people to get them to go? We can we make a collection, give it to them <laughs> and let them go take a yacht. The whole time I was listening to that conversation, I was thinking about why are more people in my generation not running for office? And I know why. I know people who have run. I know people who were Republicans or Democrats people who voted to impeach, people who whose family faced threats. And yeah, you, you have several, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just think that it, we really need people who believe, who are believers but sane um, at the same time. Well, I think so, there are in the Democratic Party, Sarah Jacobs, Lauren Underwood. There's a lot of really, and you know, there's a lot of interesting politicians that yeah. are young and, and coming up. And you, you'll see that. It's just, you know, you don't, the, the ones that were very promising in the Republican Party got zeroed out unless you unless you strike a fealty to Donald Trump, even if you didn't like him. Um, so there's a lot of um, of people that could, that could run, I think. Yeah, in, but wait, but people don't. I mean, like I look at my grad school class, like who ran for office? One person. They make I mean, more money like, being hedge fund jackasses, I guess. Yeah, but I, I, I just think there that there has to be a culture shift. There is a kind of dis... And, and Silicon Valley has been a big part of that. Government doesn't matter. Government's ineffective. I, I'm telling you, I have a lot of young friends that are in... Demo, at least in democratic politics that are going to be running, and I'm excited for them. I will give them small amounts of money. I thought it was interesting, and uh, maybe I was, op- you know, interesting and optimistic that they thought the Democratic Party was the strongest coalition. They kind of intimated Honestly. that. But only because there is the... Um, coalescing power of the villain. Yeah, the Trump. bar is so low. But what happens when Trump goes away? What happens when it's Glenn Youngkin, as you predicted? <sighs> that's harder. That's much harder. You know, yeah. that's like Reagan. He was very appealing. Appealing to you. It was very, which I had what? a poster of in 19. <laughs> I did. I had a poster in my freshman dorm of Ronald Reagan. I had a poster of Britney Spears. So okay. there you go. I can't believe it. I, I wish I could find that poster. <laughs> I had a Morning in America poster. I'll admit it right now for all of you. I had a Morning in America poster in my freshman dorm. Well, we both went to Georgetown. That place can make you conservative. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. Anyways, all let's right. get us out of here. Kara, can you read us out, please? Yes, I can. Today's show was produced by Naeem Araza, Blakeney Schick, Christian Castro Rosé and Rafaela Seward. Special thanks to Andrea Lopez Cruzado. Rick Kwan engineered this episode and our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get a Plum Committee assignment. If not, you get to sit next to Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates. I'd like to sit between them. That's where I was. We're just on earth. Ninth ring of hell. Listening to this podcast between them. This could be your future. Stop. But in any case, to keep yourself occupied while sitting next to them, go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Monday with more.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 